0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Lubert. If you would like to be a part of this fine program, you sure as well can. And you do that by calling either the listener hotline at 303-832-0217, or you can contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this show. So um, our town here in Denver, Colorado, we're having a huge issue with catalytic converter thefts. Maybe it's happening in your town, too. Now, the latest place it's happening around here are at the massive parking lots near Denver International Airport. Now, what I understand is the thieves will be driving in the airport, you know, where you have thousands of cars out there and, and very little security. Uh, they'll just drive around like they're looking for a space. They stop because it only takes what sixty seconds or less to gra- to to steal one of these things. Uh, somebody rolls out of a truck or a, a van and then cuts it out from under the car. They get back into their van and they go on to the next one, and then they take those to one of these scrap yards and try to sell them for a couple hundred or 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 whatever hundreds of dollars, uh, whatever they're worth. Well, our our chief reporter, uh, in our investigative team here at Denver Seven News, Tony Kovaleski, he, the other day, aired a story about this huge problem of catalytic converter thefts. Now, I'm, I am I want to play a, a, the piece from Tony here in just a second, but I'm also talking about this because, uh, the, in general, auto thefts are still a huge problem, and I was reading this story, and I was contacted by this company called CCC Intelligence Solutions, and they call themselves this leading technology for the automotive industry, and... Um, I was, uh, I, and I'm going to be talking here in just a minute with uh, Susanna Gotch. It's CCC senior analyst uh, to talk about uh, this this huge number of auto thefts as well as these catalytic converter thefts and uh, some other interesting stories that, that they uh, posted on their website in their blog section of their website. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to uh, get back to this story from Tony because he took some of these uh, catalytic converters to metal yards and then tried to sell them for cash. At first, I thought this was a how to. And how you can go steal somebody's catalytic converter uh, or maybe steal your own and then take it there and get a couple hundred bucks or whatever. I don't know how much money you get for it. Anyway, uh, let me play this uh, a bit of this uh, from Tony uh, here right now. You uh, buy catalytics here?
1: You... I was heard that was worth like four or $500. Uh, I think you're reading too much stuff online with hidden cameras rolling you get a lot of them up here we did some digging to find out who's buying people selling yeah i mean a big building all we do is cats what they require from sellers Do I have to fill out any paperwork
2: uh your id i get your id and your license plate number i put it in our system do i
1: have to give you my id
2: yes
1: and how much cash the catalytic converters produce i heard i might be able to get as much as 600 bucks for this The video provides an exclusive look behind the curtain inside the somewhat clandestine industry of cashing in on catalytic converters.
0: This is probably worth about 200 bucks alone.
1: This informed scrapyard employee agreed to talk with us. He's an insider providing an education into the value of used catalytic converters. It gets real pricey when you're doing your Volkswagens, Volkswagen 600. 600 bucks and that value comes from what's inside the catalytic converters precious metals platinum palladium and rhodium all Trading at record prices visually these are catalytic converters, but the truth is this is money big money Big money big money in a small amount of time take a close look at this video shows what the bad guys already know. With a portable saw and less than 15 seconds, criminals can turn metal into money. According to data provided by the Colorado State Patrol, that sound of a stolen catalytic converter hitting the ground happened more than 9,800 times last year in Colorado.
0: I could give you up to
2: $20 for this.
1: During more than a half dozen visits to scrap yards around the metro area, we discovered a wide range of prices. Why is that worth so little? Because I've been reading they're worth like a lot of money.
2: The reason for that is and the reason for us asking for an idea is because there's a big theft problem with those and so they're not paying that much.
1: Remember, our experts said this catalytic converter was worth between Four and six hundred dollars. If you can find somebody to pay you that much for it, I encourage you to do that. I will warn you, you might get in trouble. Our visits to local scrapyards also right. uncovered some locations with a clear reticence to buy. I don't buy this from individuals. You don't buy these? No. Because uh, it's The law now
0: is changing. Yeah, I mean we can't buy from
1: Berlin. But we did find a couple locations still in the business of buying. Right, so this one would be looking at hundred bucks. This location offered to purchase r three catalytic converters as long as we provided a valid ID. This one I could do 220 and this one will be 70. Okay, and is that that the best price you'll give on all of them? Yeah. And a week later, we brought three other catalytic converters to the same location with the same result. So this one's 70 bucks. this one's 60 bucks. and this one's $300. And uh, how, do, how do I get paid? Cash. Cash? Yep. Do I, do I need anything
2: just else? Just an for ID. The, just an ID? Yep. Do I have to have an ID? Yep. Okay. Any way around that? No.
1: By all indications, this location and all the others we visited are following the law in Colorado. Ultimately, that might explain the unprecedented rise in thefts. Currently, in Colorado, all you need is a driver's license. Hey there. How are you doing? Tony Kowaleski with Denver 7 to talk to you about your business. After yeah, this location know, offered to purchase much. from us on two 6, separate Puerto visits, Euro-Condra. and offered the most cash for the converters, we returned to ask questions. How many cats are you buying a day? Uh, maybe 500. From everything we picked up, you're not doing anything to break the law. Is there a part of you that wonders if all these are legit, or maybe some of them are stolen? Uh, yeah, of course. But I mean, there's no way for us to know. We brought 60 that were all basically chopped from a car. Isn't that a warning sign for you? Now, it's not my job to say you're a thief. They're stolen, is it? And law enforcement sources say that's the heart of this problem. Currently, with no way to identify a catalytic converter, no serial numbers, it's virtually impossible to convict the crooks.
0: Hold on, hold on. Yeah. I, I own the building. I own you the do? Business. Yeah, I do? Is this your business?
1: Yeah, i my the building. Several minutes the into business. the interview, good, the owner came out to address our questions. What do you say to those victims out there that are out two, three, or $4,000 because a cat stole them? Well, it's a very important. We need up to change the law. I'm all for it. You want the law changed? Yeah, we can change it. Add, VIN, add a VIN check for individuals selling cats, the final three. That shop owner says by requiring sellers to provide a vehicle ID number for every sale, it can greatly detour the out-of-control number of thefts in our state. At the state capitol, lawmakers are currently considering two bills to add guardrails to the sale of catalytic converters. A final decision will come before the session ends later this month. And finally, we intend to share what our reporting uncovered with lawmakers. I'm
0: Chief Investigative Reporter Tony Kovaleski. All right, again, I I played that for you because not only is catalytic converter theft a problem um, and laws are starting to change around that, but auto thefts in general are a major problem. And there's this company called CCC Intelligence Solutions that calls themselves the leading technology solution for the automotive industry. And they released some new data that shows vehicle thefts were up nationwide almost 100% in 2021 compared to 2017. And in some parts of the country, it's much higher than that. So I wanted to talk more about this as well as some of those other interesting stories that I saw uh, that CCC has worked on. So I invited Susanna Gotch, CCC's senior analyst, to be here on the show. Susanna, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
2: Very happy to be here. Thanks so much for the invite.
0: All right, Susanna. So before we get into this data... Let's explain more of what CCC does, and do those letters CCC stand for something, if anything?
2: Yeah, so years ago when the company was first started, over 35 years ago, uh, it did stand for something, but uh, since then it is more uh, just sort of an acronym, and um, so CCC as a company is a leading SaaS uh, platform that powers the multi-trillion dollar property and casualty insurance economy, so folks driving on the road in Denver that maybe get in an accident, Uh, We work with about 300 insurers nationwide, uh, many of whom obviously do business in Colorado and would be contacted to help handle that uh, accident and that claim, and also 25,000 body shops, repair shops, uh, many of which are also in Colorado, uh, that would ultimately be responsible for the repair of that car, as well as uh, numerous other uh, parties within that entire ecosystem. So that's automakers, lenders, parts suppliers, et cetera.
0: So CCC has pretty much gone the way of KFC. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, not. I'd like making, to think it's I, a little better. For okay, you yeah, 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 yeah. You're not making chicken. I know that, but I mean, <laughs> okay. And I read that CCC's technology connects what over 300 insurers and 2,500 repair shops and automakers and part suppliers. To, and, and really, when you're doing that, you're, you're probably uh, able to speed up claims and and that repair process, right?
2: Correct. Yep. So in uh, 21, uh, despite the pandemic, uh, there were still about 17 million auto claims uh, filed with insurance companies nationwide. And CCC processed about 15 million of those on behalf of our customers. And so we touch quite a few cars and and uh, individuals that have an unfortunate accident, and uh, hopefully help make that whole process uh, less painful by speeding it up. Um, generally, you know, the, the faster you can resolve and get that customer back into their vehicle in pre-accident condition, the happier that customer is. Uh, but also help provide the tools to give them access to the information that they need to do things like how do I know which body shop to pick? How do I know, you know, how do I get alerts and updates about the status of my repair and from my insurance company around sort of the status of my claim. So we have tools and um, solutions, uh, including artificial intelligence that's sort of woven in throughout those tool sets to help um, process those claims and make it, make the experience as, uh, as uh, painless as possible for the consumers and for all of the parties involved.
0: And we'll talk a lot more about that as well as a bunch of other stories on your website, cccis.com. My guest is Susanna Gotch, CCC's Senior Director and Industry Analyst. I do want to say congratulations first on the 27th edition of your report. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, and one part I found interesting is the disturbing findings about auto thefts in the past few years. It's mm-hmm. really bad in some states, like Minnesota, and our neighbor state to the north, Wyoming.
2: Correct, yep. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do, you know, we're, we're um, to a certain extent, a large byproduct of the pandemic. And so we had people that were not using their cars, uh, cars that were parked, which meant that they weren't getting a lot of visibility. In fact, there were reports of people whose cars were stolen, and they didn't even realize it for upwards of a week because they weren't using their cars. Uh, We had people, you know, frankly, that were looking for something to do. And, um, you know, we've just seen a a large increase and part of the targeting uh, of vehicles specifically has to do with the auto parts, specifically things like catalytic converters. And as you, I'm sure, well know, uh, the materials used in catalytic converters are hard metals like palladium and rhodium and platinum which have skyrocketed in value thousands of percent over the last several years as you know the pandemic impacted production of that you know the the uh, ability for raw materials to be even extracted as you know many mines were also facing uh, pandemic restrictions and so we saw the the cost of those materials and an easy target you know would be those cars with You know, stories of even, for example, car lots being targeted where thieves would get in and steal upwards of 30, 40 Cadillac converters within a single evening. Um, Carjackings have have risen, sadly, across many large metro areas as well. And so all of those things combined have led to a super increase
0: in uh, thefts. It's interesting that it just triggered my mind because there's an auto shop just up the street from me. And what they've done now, because they had a rash during the pandemic of people stealing the cars that they were repairing, because they were just parking them inside, you know, outside in the lot, outside their shop. And now they're mm-hmm. parking as many as they can inside the lot. They have them on the lifts. They have some in the bays. They have then they they pack them all up right against the bay doors, so you can't get in there. And really, it's only the outside cars that are, I, I would think, most vulnerable. So it yeah, uh, sure is yep. My guest is Susanna Gotch, CCC's Senior Director and Industry Analyst. Looking at the top 10 list of states, uh, Minnesota, Wyoming, Iowa, Maine, Colorado is in there, uh, South Mm -hmm. Dakota, Idaho, Montana. You could really classify those as rural, lower population states. Do you think there's a reason for more thefts in those states?
2: Well, for one, I think um, you've got, um, you know, I, I went to college in Minnesota. Minnesota cold. Wyoming is not as cold. But, um, you know, you've got vehicles parked out. A lot of people are not out in the evening hours. Um, you know, they're hunkered down inside. You also have a lot of large trucks being driven. And specifically, um, when you think about, like, the catalytic converters themselves, the larger the vehicle, the larger the catalytic converter, and the more metals available for extraction from that, and so that was certainly a key um, variable as well.
0: Do you think that these catalytic converter thefts are going to keep continuing to be on the increase, or do you think they're going to be coming down? Because that seems like it's obviously an issue that you folks are, are looking at. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so the, uh, you know, if you think about what is also happening as a sort of a major trend that we've seen coming out of this pandemic is the automakers, you know, really pivoting to focus on the development of EVs, electronic vehicles or electric vehicles. And the good news with EVs is EVs really don't require those same types of materials. They don't have to have a catalytic converter. So the requirement to have that type of, um, you know, part on a vehicle essentially goes away. Um, Obviously, EVs still account for, you know, in 2021, I believe it was less than three, about a little less than 3% of all new vehicle registrations in the U.S., but that number is expected to grow. So that should help. Um, but a lot of those hard metals, just like, um, you know, for example, the metals that are going to be needed for EVs, like cobalt and lithium, those are all uh, metals that have um, a lot of uh, requirements from a mine development perspective to actually build those mines to get those materials out of the ground. And so it takes a long time to develop those mines and then get them ramped up to be able to provide those materials. So we may see less demand for things like palladium and platinum, but something else will take its place likely.
0: And we were just mentioning those states, those with the higher um, numbers of auto thefts and, and how they are more rural and lower population states. But when you look at the percentage of vehicle thefts that increase in the 10 largest metro areas there in 2020 and 2021, you you have your traditional largest metro areas in there. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Dallas, uh, Miami, Philly, Atlanta. Is that just a function of, of pandemic related higher crime or something else?
2: Um, You know, I think, you know, so if you look at it on a state by state basis, you know, what we're measuring is the percent change in the theft percent. So if you've got a state that might have had a relatively low theft percent, even a a nominal increase in that percent could could appear to be substantially, uh, you know, a large impact or a large increase in thefts. And I think that's part of the reason we saw some of the states like Wyoming and Iowa um, see, you know, sort of pop up to that list because they saw... You know, despite a relatively low theft rate compared to some of those large metro areas that have historically been where the, you know, the largest volume of thefts come from. Um, But certainly if you look at a lot of the metro areas where people don't have garages, uh, vehicles are parked on the streets, uh, you have, you know, relatively well-developed theft rings, you know, where people have got the uh, networks in place to be able to get the cars, get them out of the city, get them, you know, either shipped overseas or out of the country. Um, So places like in Arizona, the Phoenix area, the Tucson area, those areas have always had very high theft ratios, uh, largely because they're very close to the border, right? And you can get those vehicles out. Um, Colorado, Denver, you know, if you look at the theft rates in Denver, they're double what they are in a place like Colorado, Springs, and you think about just the metro density and many more cars likely parked on the street versus in garages. All of that plays a role.
0: My guest is Susanna Gott. She's CCC's senior director and industry analyst, talking about some of the trends in auto thefts. It's it's stunning when I'm looking at some of these numbers. When uh, I can see that Cheyenne had a number of, uh, oh, I mean, really their their largest percentage increase was almost two hundred percent i mean that is that's <laughs> really stunning that there's that many people uh that have now lost their car because somebody else has taken it from a little town like Cheyenne
2: right yeah. right just on a side note you know if you if you we actually had a uh incident driving back from Colorado in uh, North Platte, Nebraska and had bicycles stolen off the back of our car and in large part it was a target because we we happen North Platte happens to be perfectly positioned along a north-south highway that also happens to be a uh, drug trafficking highway. Mm-hmm. And so vehicles, bikes, you know anything that could be easily targeted, um, and where there's not a lot of supervision at night in particular, you know, you're, you're going to find, unfortunately, some of those things happen.
0: Uh, convergence, I think, of supply chain disruptions where people can't get parts that they need. Could that be playing a role in this as well, where not just the catalytic converter thefts and people can't get them and then get their cars repaired? But do you think that just overall part shortages uh, are leading to this, where maybe somebody's selling a car to whomever and then they're just scraping all the parts out of it?
2: Yeah, we don't have any uh, hard data to necessarily support that, but it certainly uh, totally makes sense. If you think about just the significant um, impact that the auto industry, whether it's the mechanical side of the business or the closure repair side, has experienced uh, due to part shortages. And so just like a lot of goods today, um, you know, goods are coming from the Far East, which means they're having to get on – into ports uh, in the Far East that were likely, um, you know, in some sort of uh, staggered work set up because of the pandemic and taking precautions. Uh, We had shipping containers. You know, we came out of the pandemic where consumer demand surged for goods, and a lot of those goods were coming from the Far East, and the cost of shipping containers has skyrocketed and remains way, way high. Uh, You've got the, you know, the the backup at the ports here in the U.S., you know, unloading all those goods, again, you know, trying to keep uh, the port workers safe, you know, during the pandemic with pandemic precautions. All of those added costs, the cost of raw materials you know, and then you add in the most recent uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia, and you know Russia produces a lot of the aluminum. Um, you know, we had also uh, huge uh, concerns relative to semiconductor chips, right? And so, automakers had in March and April of 2020 canceled a lot of their orders because they really were. Per, um, thinking auto sales were going to plummet. And what happened instead was auto sales actually starting in April of 2020 started to increase and the declines in auto sales were not anywhere near what people had feared. And so the orders uh, that the automakers were placing for chips, they're competing with all those consumer electronic companies Who, in many cases, are much, much larger customers. And so the automakers now had a real shortage on their hands. And that did two things it meant new vehicle production volumes were cut significantly. Nationally, uh, in the US, they think it, or North America, they think it was over 3 million for all of 2021. Globally, over 10 million uh, fewer new vehicles were produced, and what that did then is it also meant that people were looking for a car, couldn't find a new car, were looking in the used market, and if you look at data from the you know Bureau of Labor CPI, if you look at you know wholesale used vehicle prices. All of those sort of indices within the industry showed used vehicle prices skyrocketed. And for the full year, the Bureau of Labor CPI for used cars in 2021 was up over 25%. And if you look at it from where, you know, March of 22 versus March of 2019, the used vehicle CPI is up over 45%. So, um, you know, vehicles were stolen in part, I think, also because they could be sold for not just the parts, but they, the actual vehicles themselves could be sold for more.
0: It's really uh, quite amazing to, to hear all, all of that. This is Susanna Gotch. She's CCC's Senior Director of and Industry Analyst. In your most recent CCC Trends video, you talked about how the cost of these collision repairs are going to be much higher for some of the factors that you just mentioned, but also one of the reasons has to be uh, that cars now are equipped with so many complicated parts and sensors that we didn't have three or four or ten years ago.
2: Yep, exactly. And, you know, if you look at the, um, you know, a lot of those sensors are being added to do things like avoid accidents, you know, whether it's advanced driver assistance systems or the blind spot monitor. But those technologies, while good, don't help, avoid every single accident and they often are designed to work up to a certain speed. And, um, you know, I think also you think of Colorado, you think of hail losses, you know, there's not any ADAS advanced driver assistance system available for hail losses. And so you think about a lot of those sensors that are mounted on the periphery of the vehicle to specifically, you know, detect things around the surrounding of the vehicle, they're in high exposure area during an accident, and so now require replacement. And um, the average number of parts per claim has grown substantially. It's upwards of now 12 parts replaced per claim, and that doesn't even include the number of parts that have to be repaired on a per vehicle basis, uh, you know, up from 8 in 2011, so a pretty substantial increase, Um, and as you replace more parts, the number of labor hours also grows, and couple that with sharp increases in the average cost per part, specifically related to some of the supply chain issues in 2021, and it's meant that we are now seeing repair costs accelerate at the fastest that we've ever seen since tracking the data going back to 1997.
0: And all of this means that the collision repair centers, when we have a collision and want to get our cars fixed, they have higher costs because it's tougher to replace and find these parts and then also to find the right people that know how to put in these sensors and these more complicated parts.
2: Absolutely. Yep. And the the collision repair industry, like, you know, auto technicians in general, um, you know, they they have not necessarily had uh, the best luck with recruiting new people into that industry over the last probably decade or so. And it's gotten worse now because the skill sets needed are even more, in some cases, advanced. And so, um, you know, repairs are struggling to find the technicians that are qualified and then the cost of... For example, to do an aluminum repair, structural aluminum repair, you have to invest you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to repair them. Same with EVs, to get the tooling, to get the safety equipment in place so that you can protect your employees, uh, to get them the proper training so that they know how to repair those cars properly, to get access to the software that the OEs provide that provide specific instructions on how to ensure that those vehicles are repaired properly based on how the engineers have designed that vehicle up front.
0: And it would probably also, with the appraisers, they wouldn't have to be up to speed on all these new sensors and new ways that cars are being repaired. And it must take longer for those folks to get their job done and get um, also rental cars uh, for the folks that are going to be getting their their cars repaired. My brother and sister-in-law, they both have a car that's being repaired, and it's been that way. It's still in the shop uh, two months later.
2: Yeah. And, the uh, you know, so the, during the pandemic repairers obviously saw repair volumes fall, uh, but repair volumes have recovered pretty well. And, um, they're still a bit down slightly from pre-pandemic, but, but not, by much, uh, definitely less than 10% down. And in certain areas of the country, they're well above that. So for example, Colorado, Denver area is one of those areas where we've seen repair volumes recover well above where they were pre-pandemic. Some of that has to do with just the growth in the overall metro area population. But in general, um, repairs now, the average number of weeks that they're waiting to bring a car in for repair is now as of Q1, 22 almost four weeks, four plus weeks. And um, the last thing repairers want to do is take a vehicle that can be driven, even though it's got some damage, and bring it in to the shop and find out they can't get the part. So they're having to, you know, definitely wait till they get all the parts that they think are going to be necessary for that repair before they bring that car in. And so what they call their width or their work in progress, um, carriers or the, the shops also are, in many cases, having to, um, they have a lot bigger uh, overall whip, um, and that has a cost to it, too, because they're not getting paid until the repair job is done. Uh, but they put the upfront cost, you know, investment in the replacement part. So it's it's really a really
0: challenging time for repairs today. Um, speaking with Susanna Gotch, she's CCC's Senior Director and Industry Analyst. And then you have these cars that maybe can't be repaired, probably can't be repaired because they're involved in such violent wrecks. There are so many people now that are are driving so fast since the start of the pandemic where it's been at the start obviously there was wide open highways and people started driving faster now we have fewer law enforcement that are picking these people up and and stopping uh at these speeders and and when they get into a crash I, i've done stories where we see a lot more wrecks involving uh high speed and they are very violent and they and the metal twists and you know uh, at these higher speeds that that uh, cars just get mangled in horrible ways and those vehicles can't be repaired so we're, we're seeing a lot of Uh, vehicles in that way being damaged and being wrecked that can't even go through the repairs.
2: Right. And, you know, so the the number of vehicles that are being totaled um, is also up. And and so the only thing that is helping to keep that um, sort of somewhat manageable honestly is the fact that the cost of the vehicles is so high now replacement vehicles and so as a uh, repair you can write a lot more or repair the vehicle up to a much higher dollar value before you sort of hit that threshold where they might otherwise decide to total that vehicle but you're absolutely right I mean people are speeding people are driving distracted um, data from a number of sources, you know, show that driver distraction levels remain at all time highs. So, um, people are speeding. I, you know, live here in the Chicago area and posted speed limits on the highways are 55. And if you're not going 70, you're going to be rear-ended. And, uh, I know it's that way in most parts of the country and, uh, you know, certainly during the pandemic NHTSA it's recorded many more people driving under the influence as well, whether it's, um, you know, from, um alcohol or drugs.
0: What do you think could turn this trend around with all the higher costs and higher uh, wait times for folks to get their cars repaired and uh, getting the parts back to market? Is this just our new normal?
2: I think a lot of the supply chain issues, specifically like getting access to the parts that are needed, that'll work itself out, I would imagine, by the, you know, sort of the, the throughout the, it'll improve throughout this year and and into next year. Most manufacturers are saying that, for example, their supply of semiconductor chips is expected to improve um, slowly throughout the year, but really be something that they feel like is in a much better place in by the middle of 2023. Uh, But we still have a a real capacity issue with, you know, in terms of repairs, in terms of getting the folks needed to, um, you know, repair the cars. Um, From a carrier insurance perspective, one of the things, however, that they have uh, found and, and consumer interest grew quite a bit during the pandemic when people realized they were driving less and thought, well, I'm paying a lot for my insurance, maybe I can get a discount if I agree to do sort of more of a user-based insurance, so mileage-based insurance policy, or have a policy that sort of monitors how I drive. And so interest among consumers has grown, and what they've also found is that those consumers that sign up for those policies tend to have higher um Uh, are more successful drivers, meaning they have fewer accidents, uh, they have fewer tickets. Uh, So as consumer interest continues, hopefully, to grow in those types of policies where they're incented to drive better, hopefully that will help. Um, But certainly, you know, as, as people start to make their way back into the office, congestion levels, unfortunately, while they drive everybody nuts, they do force people to slow down.
0: But it's like mom and dad watching me drive. Uh, that Of course, I'm going to behave right. better. <laughs> you know, when I when they're watching me drive it, and when I know I'm going to be saving money, I'm going to be uh, doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's almost like a video sure. game. And I would think now that a lot of Chinese cities are in lockdown, that's got to have another ripple effect into the supply chain. So even though when we thought we were starting to get some supplies out of China, there's going to be this another kind of bump in the, in the road getting stuff here.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've already, the Chinese auto uh, group has already come out and sort of talked about their how their production levels have been just in the last month, you know, slashed substantially. And, uh, you know, I believe Elon Musk referred to it in his, you know, Q1 earnings call um, just the other day, uh, talking about the delays in, um, you know, and the shortages of parts, the shortages of available new cars for sale, just because production levels have been hampered due to additional shutdowns.
0: My guest is Susanna Gott. She's CCC's Senior Director and Industry Analyst. I would think also that this trend in not only more vehicle technology that's in the car, more expensive to repair, all the things that we've been talking about in a little bit, is making my insurance costs higher because if it's going to take me two months to get my car repaired compared to four weeks... That means I have a rental car for four weeks longer. And that means the insurance company is paying for that uh, extra four weeks. And it, that's happening not just with one person. It's happening with a 1,000 people. And, and all of these costs have to be passed on, I'm sure, to the consumer.
2: Yeah. And, you know, so many carriers um, offer a rebate. Um, during the pandemic, uh, in recognition of people using their cars substantially less, but when you price up uh, your insurance, when you pay your insurance bill, you're essentially paying your bill upfront for the next six months to a year. And so while accidents counts had fallen pretty substantially in 2020, as of the early part of 2022, they're essentially almost back where they were pre-pandemic, but costs are substantially higher. And so carriers are having to price that into their models. And unfortunately, that means that most of us are going to be paying a lot more for insurance in the coming months.
0: Maybe I should go back to driving my 1975 Plymouth Fury, because uh, it only has knobs and <laughs> dials and no sensors to hey. damage. It's <laughs> you know, you bang it a little bit, who cares? You know, it had that horrible yellow fridge color. Um Yep. <laughs> but then trying to find one of those older cars has got to be tough because everybody's buying older user car- used cars now.
2: <laughs> yep, yeah. Even, I mean, and frankly, it's the oldest units that have seen the largest increase because there are so few of them out there. And with uh, consumers having trouble finding and affording cars, the average new vehicle price is now upwards of $45,000. The average used vehicle price was upwards of 25000 That's way out of everybody's, um, a large part of many people's uh, budget and so uh, the ability to find older cars is is a challenge and, and there's a lot of demand for those uh, in fact I had heard uh, recently I read a story of a woman who was looking for a car for her high school daughter she actually bought a, an older model car that had no operational engine and then bought a recycled engine and paid somebody to put it in and it still ended up costing her less than to buy an otherwise used car
0: that is fascinating <laughs> sad but also fascinating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the the future as we've been talking about of the auto industry really is changing. We know about the desired phase out of internal combustion engine cars, at least in the United States. I don't think that um, auto, I guess the United States automakers are going to uh, the electric route, but not every automaker in the world can do that because there's so many, you know, if you're parts of the world, they don't have the electricity to plug their car into. So they're always going to have to be a market for internal combustion engines. Uh, But there are other ways I'm sure that the auto industry is changing, especially here in the United States.
2: Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of been focused and, you know, pre, uh, pre-pandemic, you know, people would talk about the ACEs or CASE, which is the acronym, which is Autonomy, uh, Connected electric. Electrified and shared, uh, so really referring to you know the advanced driver assistance systems all the way up to full vehicle autonomy. Uh, connected cars is really sort of the telematics, the ability you know think OnStar, uh, think Subaru Starlink. You know the ability to have um, in the case of an accident, somebody reach out to you to say, "Are you okay? You, do we need to send emergency services?" Um, EV, obviously, you know, a big jump in, in EVs and then the shared, uh, which is sort of the, um, I think Uber Lyft, but also manufacturer sponsored, um, programs like that. And so pre pandemic, there was a great deal of focus and, and, um, you know, media focus but also automaker focus around vehicle autonomy and I think with the pandemic we've seen a lot of the focus shift as they realized you know you can solve for that first 80% of the autonomy but the remaining 20% is the hardest part to solve for and so what we've seen is sort of a, a renewed focus around EVs and also connected cars. Um, both of which, you know, are are responding to changes in consumer demand, but also changes in sort of our world in general.
0: Yeah, because autonomous cars are one way that uh, automakers really want to. We've seen that with Tesla uh, want to take the industry, but we're not ready, anywhere near ready, for the fully autonomous Tesla or or. GM car or any kind of car just yet. It doesn't seem like, well, are the infrastructures ready and and people are ready for the autonomous car just yet.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, in, in full production today in the U S the most is sort of that uh, there's five levels of autonomy, uh, according to the society of automotive engineers. The best at this point is level two, which is sort of think the Tesla autopilot think, you know, Kia's got, you know, most of these automakers have something which is some variation of adaptive cruise control, which involves both, um, sort of the automatic emergency braking front crash avoidance plus, you know, uh, lane keeping assist. And, um, that technology people really like, right, because it allows you to sort of um, program your car and if you're driving a long road trip. Uh, but what they found is that um, consumers and, and drivers in general, uh, if they're not fully engaged in the driving uh, exercise, if, if they think the car can do it on their behalf, they very quickly totally disengage. And most of these systems are not set up yet where they can take over the driving all the time so the car will within a matter of seconds all of a sudden essentially you know pivot back to the to the driver to say hey you're in charge now and whether it's the lane markings disappear on the road and the car doesn't know where to go or you know the the traffic slows to such a speed any variety of factors and that technology ch- turns off and the and the driver has to be ready to take over and what they found is that we aren't really very good at that. You know, um, they talk about this uh, risk homeostasis, which is the um, sort of propensity of of people to, if if they perceive that risk is being taken away, they automatically take on more risk. So if they think they can, you know, completely disengage from the driving experience, they will. Um, And, you know, in, in some cases, it's just sort of a misperception about the capabilities of the vehicle as well. They think the capabilities are, in fact, uh, better than they actually are.
0: My guest is Susanna Gotch, CCC Senior Director and Industry Analyst. We're talking about the crash course report that is out now, and you can read it if you want, and you can just go to their website, cccis.com. As you were talking about this stuff, it it triggered, I don't know if you've seen these commercials yet. Maybe they're nationwide, but I've seen them here in Denver that uh, there's this man named Dan O'Dowd, and I think he's running for Congress or the Senate, um, but he has these anti-Tesla commercials that have been running uh, nonstop, basically taking a look at Tesla software, saying, you cannot trust the Tesla software to self-drive because they're trying to drive through a construction zone, or look, it almost hit this person, and I I think he has a, a a dog in the hunt because I, I think he has a software company of some sort. As I, I, I'm just trying to remember some of the research I did on him earlier. Uh, but it, it's there are people out there that will not want to have self-driving almost at any cost, even if it is safe enough to put on the roads.
2: Well, I think you know it, it, the the challenge will be that in order for consumer, the average consumer, to have a hundred percent trust in Uh, the ability for the technology to work in all cases, in all times, it's going to be quite some time. And, um, so it's tough to be the, it's tough to be the first one out there introducing some of this technology, um, you know, because you're going to be the, uh, in some cases the poster child for when it's not working as people perceive it should work. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for some of this technology. Um, you know, the, um, it, when we get to a point whether it's you know having a um, you know a type of vehicle autonomy that works in a very uh, specific sort of geofenced area, um, you know where it 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 knows it can do drive fully autonomous all the time. Um, you know, there's, there are some benefits to some of that capability, you know, people maybe that that are blind or are unable to drive, maybe elderly, uh, the ability for them to use services associated with that. So vehicle autonomy in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, But like any new technology, there's risks associated with, um, you know, how it develops, and, and it's not perfect right out of the gates.
0: And, in your industry, you would have to figure out who is at fault. Is it the car? Is it the software? Is it the company that made the car or the maker of the software? Is it the person that's supposed to be uh, at least paying attention to the road depending on uh, what level of autonomy you're you're driving in? Um, is it the you know the the city with the uh, infrastructure? Um, That is at fault. So, uh, I mean, how are we going to work that out uh, when when you're looking at the the industry of of paying for damages to a vehicle or to people or other property?
2: Yeah, the liability questions are going to be perplexing for sure. Um, You know, I think today uh, with a level two, at the end of the day, the driver is responsible. So that makes it pretty easy. And um, when you start to get into level three, level four, and certainly level five, uh, it's a totally different question. And then it becomes more, is it product liability or, or to, to your point, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was a vehicle to infrastructure capability that d- didn't operate as it should have. How do you demonstrate that that failed and it wasn't the vehicle product itself? Um, but I think that the good news is we've got lots of time to try and get those things perfected and
0: figured out. And near the end of the report, there's a section that discusses technology such as mobile, cloud, AI, Internet of Things, and how they have transformed personal mobility. It's really talking about connected cars, connected to the streetlights and connected to sensors that are in the road so you can see how quickly uh, traffic is moving. You can get that traffic data uh, from one car to the next car and have cars connected uh, all in these different ways. Being connected can be great and you can have some great advantages to it. Maybe have traffic flow better on certain highways and, and roadways. But there's also that risk, too, of being open to the Internet and having somebody with ill intentions get into your software.
2: Yeah, so, you know, it's no, it's not, uh, it's interesting when you think about just um, cyber security in general. Um, You know, as more things go online, whether it's our own devices, whether it's, you know, your vacuum or, you know, uh, your coffee machine, all of those open uh, you up to uh, potential nefarious parties. And I think, you know, certainly automakers are very conscious of that and looking to build into their uh, into their technologies, you know, the capabilities to combat and to have proper sort of uh, firewalls in place and to ensure that those things can't be hacked.
0: You also mentioned... Shared, shared cars, and we've seen a lot of people using the Ubers and Lyft. I've used them in the in the past, not very often, but uh, they are coming back again after people are now having to return to the office and starting to work uh, again. Not everybody's working remotely. Uh, some right. of us do have to, like me, go back to the office, and, and I've been there basically uh, most of the time. But it looks like shared is coming back in a bigger way. How does that play out into... Uh, your industry and and how does how does that future look?
2: Yeah, so um, early, you know even before the pandemic, there'd been a lot of um, sort of discussion research being looked at uh, focused around you know the shared vehicle uh, economy, uh, specifically sort of the ride hailing. And um, you know there was been a great deal of research in places like New York, in Boston, you know many of the large metro areas that found that um, congestion levels actually grew uh, with the availability of these ride-hailing services because people it was cheap enough uh, that people uh, would avoid taking public transportation or walk and instead take a ride-hailing. Service and so um, was actually adding to congestion levels, not helping to combat them. And they also found that the usage of those often um, was not necessarily people using them to commute to work but people using them sort of in the off hours so more congested roads during evening hours during the weekdays and also on the weekends Um, you know certainly with the pandemic and just like every other industry uber lyft all of these ride-hailing companies have been struggling to also find workers and so um in order to entice more people they're charging more and paying their drivers more and so some of the costs uh the low cost um you know, benefits or or what made those systems attractive have uh, not necessarily been able to um, persist and add into that really high gas prices and it, it adds to quite a bit more costly type of alternative. Um, so I think, you know, we will continue to see those services develop and grow. Um, you may have seen, um, you know, in New York City, for example, they have also extended the Uber app into the taxi system and um, also to expand the available number of drivers, but also, um, you know, to help uh, build out a system and Uber kind of figuring out its its footprint and what its business model looks like. And then certainly the food delivery business, all of those things have um, added... You know, and changed how the how the car sharing uh, sector of you know the new uh, personal mobility is is developing.
0: Do you folks do a lot of work with uh, connected trucks or deliveries? And um, because that is obviously a, a industry that is seeing a lot of uh, folks not able to work for the the trucking companies are always looking for people. They have a massive shortage of truck drivers. Uh, is your industry looking at uh, anything in the truck driving space? So
2: we certainly, we work with numerous carriers who uh, do not only private passenger auto insurance, but they also do commercial insurance. And on the commercial insurance side, um, you know, Having um, available drivers uh, for companies that are trucking companies has, as to your point, been a a major concern. Um, And so there had been programs in place to sort of make um, help drivers, whether it's through connected technology, routing systems, you know, scheduling systems. Uh, A lot of that was designed to help Um, but at the same time in, on the commercial side of the business, the insurance companies, uh, were also seeing, um, the impact of what they call social inflation, which is essentially, um, sort of this whole, uh, Acceleration in the uh, number of lawsuits Um, when a truck, a large truck rig was involved in an accident where it was perceived that it was a easy target uh, for a lawsuit and then the average awards being awarded by juries uh, skyrocketed and of course obviously that all adds to the price of the insurance that we all pay. and so in, in part, some of that technology definitely helps combat sort of and prove the real facts of the accident. Uh, but there have been stories also where that same technology, uh, the person suing will request the records of that driver going back maybe six months to look for any pattern of, um, you know, potential driving concerns. And so there's a, a benefit and, and, you know, the flip side, people will find how to, how to um, use it to their benefit.
0: My guest is Susanna Gott. She's CCC's Senior Director and Industry Analyst, also the author of the annual Crash Course Report. You can read it at cccis.com. All 53 pages of it, Susanna. Uh, so, <laughs> was there anything else in that report that really stood out to you?
2: I have to give you credit. You did a fantastic job of summarizing it. uh, You may be you may be one of the few people that took the time to read the whole thing through. So I appreciate
0: it. You're right. I might be. (laughs) Is there anything that did uh, stick? You know, come out to you as as well? Because there there are. I mean, so many interesting parts of this thing.
2: Yeah, I think the only you know last thing I would add is if you look at you know the collision repair and the insurance industries, they like all industries have tried to sort of create a mechanism and mechanisms to communicate with their customers sort of in the new way that consumers wanna be communicated with, you know, through digital applications and platforms. And so what we've seen in just even the last five years and even two years is substantial adoption of digital capabilities both at the insurance company and at the collision repair to do things like make it easy for customers to find out which repair shop they wanna take their car to. They go to an app and they see Okay, here are my hours of operation. I can schedule my repair in. I can see what certifications they have. I can get status updates from them. Um, you know, even things like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to get my car fixed, so I'm going to send in photos to either my carrier or to my... Um, Re- collision repair shop and give them have them give me an estimate without me having to go visit three shops. I can they can look at the pictures and through the pictures, the experience of the adjusters and the uh, technicians writing those estimates, uh, combined with artificial intelligence, can give the consumer a really good idea of what that repair cost is going to be, and then decide whether they want to get their car fixed or not. So there's a lot of new tools being developed to facilitate the overall process and get it to a point where it, it provides the same, if not same, but similar experience that consumers are now demanding based on their experience with companies like Amazon or others, you know, where they're really expecting the ability for that uh, company to understand what their wants and needs are uh, immediately upon contact.
0: Do you expect to see some of these same issues for your next year's report? You must be already working on it now because it is pretty extensive. I'm sure you're working on it all the time. So do you see some of the same trends now that you will see in the 2023 report?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's more of the same, unfortunately. Which is, we will see, you know, some improvement in things like supply chain issues, but capacity issues are going to continue to be an issue. Um, you know, all labor markets, you know, across the U.S. were at record low unemployment. We've got, you know, people that have not returned to the workforce post-COVID, and um, so uh, the good news is that's uh, helped raise wages for a lot of people. But it also means ultimately, you know. The cost of wages, the cost of raw materials are all contributing to higher record inflation. And so uh, that trickles down throughout the whole entire chain. And so certainly those are things that, you know, things like the Federal Reserve and others are trying to resolve, but it's not uh, unfortunately going to be anything we're going to see a quick fix to.
0: You know, you're going to have to go to 54 pages next year. (laughs) <laughs> For sure. <laughs> right. If anybody does want to read all 53 of this year's, you can go to cccis.com. You go into the news and insights part, and then you can see it. Uh, the link to the uh, 2022 Tens uh, crash, course, crash course trends report uh, right there. So, again, Susanna, thank you so much. Appreciate all your expertise. Thank you, Jason, so insight. much. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's been a fun conversation, so I appreciate all your insight. Oh, yeah, thank you. Take care. And again, if you want some more information or if you want to read that full report, I do have that link to uh, that report. It'll take you right there in the description of the show. Uh, Also to their website, CCC's website, that will also take you there. Um, So, you know, if you want to read all all the pages of that report. Next week, I got this really interesting interview about car subscriptions. We've talked about this in the past. I think with Volvo, it's been many episodes back, but I think Volvo has this subscription as well. Uh, some of the other car manufacturers do it right from the manufacturer is the one who, who does it. But there's this company called Autonomy.com, and they're doing it in a different way, where they're using electric cars in a subscription service. Because they say that this is a way to get lower-income people into EVs, since the price point it, it keeps so many people out, even with those tax rebates from the federal government and from some states, a lot of people can't afford those EVs because they're so much more expensive than a regular internal combustion engine car uh, and, and definitely more expensive than, than a hybrid. So uh, the, the higher prices of these EVs are keeping some of the lower income people out. And I also have a whole ton of other questions about uh, subscription car services and how it's going to work and what's included and and um, you know maybe the future of these things and and why they think it's better for lower income people and. Um, why it might be better than a lease? Because we, we talk, you know, everybody knows about a lease and a buy, but do you know about a subscription? So I think there's a lot to talk about uh, with this uh, next week. By the way, if you have a uh, interview uh, question that you want me to ask about this, then, then you could also send it my way in the contact links, or if you have any other show idea. Uh, interview idea let me know either on the listener hotline 303-832-0217 or of course on any of the contact links in the description of this show thanks again for being here thanks for listening and until next time i'm jason luber the traffic guy be safe and as always happy motoring